First Samuel chapter one is where we're going to be tonight. So if you want to find your place there, title of the message tonight is what to do when your soul is bitter. Do not raise your hand, <laughs> but how many of you have struggled with the soul in bitterness before? And I suppose if you've lived any length of time that 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 would apply to you. And maybe that applies to you tonight, and maybe it applies to you at some point in the future. And so maybe some medicine tonight or preventative uh, medicine for each of us this evening. So the Bible tells us this story at the very beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. The, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Epaphrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, and Hannah had no children. And the story develops from this understanding. So verse 3, this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And then said Elkanah to her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am, I, am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. Okay, so to put this in context, here they are, and dinner is passed, or supper, and she gets up by herself, and she goes to the temple, and here's, here's Eli watching. Verse 10, the Bible says this, she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass that she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. And so the woman went her way and did eat. And I want us to notice this last phrase tonight. And her countenance was no more sad. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for your word and the chance to be together tonight. Lord, for all of the programs going on around the building, we pray your blessing. And uh, Lord, our young people, as they participate in the Iwana program, say their verses, learn lessons. Our youth tonight, as they meet, have their small groups. And then Lord, us tonight, as we meet here, pray that you'd speak to our hearts, um, that Lord, we'd find the help our souls need. 
And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Elkanah was born into the tribe of Levi. He was a Kohathite from the family of Zuf, which were descendants of Moses and Aaron. So that kind of paints him into that family, and we would understand that. And then we learn right away this about him. He had two wives. Historians believe, now there's no proof of this in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't even make this clear, but they believe this, that he probably married Hannah first. But Hannah had a problem. Hannah couldn't have uh, children, and this was a big deal. It's been a big deal throughout history, uh, across generations, and to most people, but especially this period of time, because children weren't just tiny humans to love and nurture. Uh, they were depended upon, especially the boys, to contribute to their way of life, and then to perpetuate the family name, which would have been a much bigger deal to this civilization and culture even than it is to us today. And so it wasn't just that they wanted them, they needed them. But Hannah could not bear children, so it's a big deal. It caused her, though, much shame and personal grief, as the text makes clear tonight. And so Elkanah takes to himself a second wife, Penina. And Penina can make babies. And she does. One after another, she has a baby. She bears many children. I want us to stop and I want to paint some background here. We need to fully understand before we get to the heart of the message tonight, Elkanah's interaction with each of his wives, because it's from this interaction that we see some of the influence of the text tonight. Elkanah really valued Penina. Well, why? Because she made babies. She gave him children. He was no doubt genuinely grateful for the help her children provided, for the perpetuity that they gave his name. But you can value uh, your home that you live in, right? You can value livestock, and he certainly would have. You can value the car you drive, but it doesn't mean that you love it. There's a difference. I value my minivan. I don't love it, all right, but I value it. So Penina knew it. Because while he valued her, the text implies that he didn't really love her. But the text makes clear to us that he loved who? Hannah. He valued Penina, but he loved Hannah. And so verse 5, look there with me once more. But unto Hannah, the Bible says, he gave a worthy portion. For he what? Well, he loved Hannah. And so by inference, we would, we would, we would deduce that he didn't love Penina, or at least he didn't love her in the same way. And so Elkanah here showers Hannah with attention. When Hannah was in a moment of distress, he expresses an amazing amount of concern. Verse 8, he says this, Why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Hey, look at me. Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Like, I shower you with attention. I give you gifts. I take care of you. I love you. I express that to you. Can't that be enough? But for her, it wasn't. Okay, so there are two women tonight. One was essentially, in her mind, broken. She could not have babies. The other one was unloved. They both had hurts of the heart. And Penina wasn't gracious or accepting about the extra attention and affection that was showed towards who? Towards Hannah. Okay, it is easy to read this text 
and begin to read what Penina does to Hannah and villainize her, but put your shoes in Penina, yourself in her shoes for just a moment. So here's, here she is, and, 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 and Elkanah marries her, and she has children, and then he loves this other woman a lot more, and he doesn't love me. And she's hurt by that. Who would, wants to be valued for the simple reason that they can have a child? Who wants to be valued only as, oh, well, that's my son's parent, their mom or their dad, and I only stay together with them, or I only love them for that reason? Or I'm only, I just say value them. That doesn't work for us. There's a craving in our hearts to want to be loved, uh, to want to be accepted and valued. If it's true that hurting people hurt people, then Penina had all the motivation that she needed to take that hurt that was stemming inside of her and to lash out at Hannah. And it's exactly what she does. So resentment builds, jealousy begins to build in Penina's heart, and then it begins to spill over in hateful ways towards Hannah. And the goal is simply this. If I can hurt her and cut her down to size, it might make me feel better. That psychology is still around today. It's human nature doesn't change. If I'm hurting, I'm going to hurt you, and maybe I'll feel better about myself. It doesn't work, but we try it all the time. And so here's what we read in the text. Verse 5 says, Penina became an adversary to Hannah and provoked her. But she's just poking at her. In other words, because she wasn't loved, she used the leverage of having children to hurt and to cause even more pain towards Hannah. Okay, there is a contrast, though, between these two women. Hannah struggles with feelings of inadequacy. She struggles with brokenness. She struggles with this lack of fulfillment in her heart, and it hurts deeply. Time after time after time, she is trying to have a child, and nothing will work. And then here is, El here is uh, Penina. She has children, but there's feelings of jealousy embedded in her heart as she looks at this other wife who receives attention and affection and love. So these, these feelings of jealousy, she feels herself very unloved. She feels taken for granted. Both had hurts of the heart. Both had sorrowful spirits. But they responded to their pain in different ways. They each responded in different ways. So here's what Penina did. She lasses, she lasses out. She tries to make herself feel better by putting Hannah down. Hannah could have escalated, and Hannah could have fought back, and Hannah could have, could have, could have, could have, could have said, well, you're rejected, and you're not loved the way I am, and look at the gifts that he gives to me, and at least I'm accepted. But that's not what she did. Hannah chose a different response to the hurt in her heart. Her name literally means woman of grace. It's, an, it's a name she didn't have to live up to, but it's a name that she chose to live up to. And so notice what Hannah does with her hurt. She didn't take the bait that Penina offered. Because if she had, she would have just justified all of Penina's venom. She didn't take matters into her own hands. She didn't whine and complain. She didn't return evil. She didn't respond in anger. She didn't take out her frustration on Elkanah. She didn't develop a bad attitude toward God. Okay. Like you and I, Hannah and Penina knew the same God. But they interacted with Him 
in very different ways. So what did she do with her sorrow? Here's Penina. This is what she does with her sorrow. She levels it at Hannah. What does Hannah do with hers? Well, the Bible says that Elkanah took his family to Shiloh each year for a festival. They have dinner one night, and she gets up, and she goes to the tabernacle to pray. And she took that hurt and that burden to the Lord. She went to petition the Lord for a son, to ask God to fix her broken womb, to ask God to do what no doctor could do and what she herself could not do. But it was more than a simple request as we read the text tonight. It wasn't just asking for a son. See, Penina, or Hannah, I'm sorry, she also took her shame to the Lord. And she took her suffering, and she took her hurt feelings, and she took her relational frustration, and she took her disappointment, and she took her sorrow, and she took her imperfections and her inadequacies and her sorrow of heart and her bitterness, and she poured it out to the Lord. Verse 10 says she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord. But this wasn't just a mealtime prayer. Because the Bible says, and she wept sore. Now, we may not, every one of us, be able to identify with the pain of not having a baby. But there are those types of feelings sometimes that reside in our hearts. Regret, disappointment, let down, real hurt, imperfections, real shame, suffering, hurt feelings. The frustration and pain turn Hannah more and more to the Lord and not away from him. See, Penina took that pain that she felt, that lack of love, that inadequacy she felt, that, that relational brokenness, and she leveled it this way. And Hannah took it, and she went vertical with it, and she went to God. So here's the question. What do you do when you're frustrated? What do you do when someone hurts your feelings at work or your spouse or a child or a friend or a church member? What do you do when you're hurt and life isn't going your way and your expectations are far from met and you're not loved? Too many of us are like Penina. We lash out, we complain, and we take matters into our own hands. Bethina and Hannah both served the same God, yet they interacted with him in very different ways. Penina forgot he was there, and too often that's how we live. He wasn't part of her solution to life. Don't forget who else was in Shiloh. Elkanah was there, Hannah was there, and so was Penina. She was in Shiloh, she was in the same proximity to the tabernacle. She was in the same proximity to God, but only one woman went there. Penina's response was to wallow in hurt, to wallow in self-pity, to lash out at those around her. The pains, the frustrations, and the failures of this life will drive us closer to God or they will drive us further from Him, and there's no middle ground. And for one of these women, it drove her further from God. And for one of these women, it drove her further to God. And I want to press these, this point tonight, because this is the main point. Two women, both with hurt hearts, 
both could take their burden to God. Both had access to the tabernacle. Both had access to prayer. Both could go to the same Lord for the hurt of their heart, but only one of them did, and the other did not. So look at how Hannah prayed. And I'm telling you, this is a template tonight for what to do when you're hurt and when you're disappointed. Verse 11, this is her prayer. O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto that handmaid a man child. Okay, let's break this down. She acknowledged God's power as the Lord of hosts. And she translates it to this. He's, he's over the heavenly armies. He's the God of the angels. He's the God of creation. So, of course, he's the God of my womb, too. And I acknowledge him as such. God, your God, and your understanding is, is far greater than mine. And I may not understand the problem here. And there might be a reason for it. And so I rest that with you. I just want you to know, God, I recognize who you are. And then she says, and I recognize who I am. And she, she, she recognized her position, and she refers to herself as a handmaid. That's translated as a female slave. And she is saying, God, you're everything, and I am nothing. I don't get to make demands of you. I take orders from you. I obey you. I do what you want me to do. God's your God, and I am your servant. She wasn't demanding. She wasn't entitled. She wasn't presumptuous. But she did have faith. And she did have audacity that the God of the universe and time itself would look down upon her and at the very least, he would hear her. And we take God for granted too much. And we take prayer for granted. And we have to remember when we come to him who he is we have to remember who we are. And she says, you're, you're, you're majestic. You're king. You're sovereign. You're God. And I am nothing. And I come to you in the spirit. She essentially says, please look on my affliction. She asks God, would you remember me? Essentially saying, don't forget about me, Lord. It was a prayer of sacrifice. And if, Lord, if you do something for me, I... I will serve you and I will sacrifice to you. See, look, tonight, for each of us and our hurts and the people that we live around and that we compare our lives to, prayer is life's great equalizer. Each of us carries a different and unique burden in life. Each of us have inadequacies and pains of both the heart and the body. But our hopelessness and our helplessness is no barrier for God to work. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says, When you approach Him, this is the Spirit. This is the attitude we bring to God, that we might humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Well, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. And why would we do that? Because He cares for you. We can all pray to the same God who is waiting. And here's the amazing part that I could never begin to articulate with adequate words. He's wanting to hear from you. 
He wants to listen to your voice. He enjoys your fellowship and your attention. It's why he made you. He delights in granting the requests of our hearts. And we leave too much on the table of life when we fail to pray. For too many of us, prayer is an untapped resource and unused potential. And Hannah has this, this sorrow of heart. She says this bitterness of soul. And she gets up from dinner and she goes to the tabernacle and she takes it to God. But it wasn't just that she took it there. She also left it there. She had faith in God that she had done what she could do. And now the outcome was up to God. So it didn't matter if God gave her a son. And to her, it didn't matter if he didn't give her a son. Now take a deep breath and process that. She was essentially saying to God, I am going to cast my cares upon you because she understood this principle, God cares for me. And the outcome is his now. I did all I could do. And the only thing left for me to do is to leave my burden there. The idea of cast, to set down, and then not to pick it back up. Amen. So what happens after we pray? Well, we are forced with a choice. We can continue to bear our burden, or we can leave it there. Okay, so I have a, I have a coat on tonight. Let's just use this as a brief illustration. Here's my burden. And I have them. I have burdens. I have burdens in my heart. And I know you do too. I know it. Some of you I know better than others. But I know some of the burdens here. And if I start and think about it, I'll get real emotional. Because I know some of them. And so I come to the Lord. And I take my burden to God. And now I have a choice. I can pray. And I can pour out my heart to God. And I could do what Hannah did. And what Peter instructs us to do. But then there's this moment of decision. I can get up with my burden and continue with it. Or this moment of decision, as I pour out my heart to God, I make a conscious decision between me and God, and I cast my burden at his feet, and I get up without it, and I'm different. And there are these moments in life and in our prayer life where we have to leave our burdens with the Lord. And it's a big deal. What do burdens do to us? Well, the research done by the American Academy of Family Physicians found that emotional stress affects not just our spiritual and our emotional well-being, but our physical health and well-being in ways more than we would potentially begin to realize. There is a direct correlation and connection between our stress levels and the burdens that we bear and that we think about that keep us up and our physical well-being, things like back pain and chest pain. Now, these are, these, are, these are medically recorded connected to these burdens. Dry mouth, extreme tiredness, general aches and pains, headaches, high blood pressure, insomnia, lightheadedness, palpitations, shortness of breath, stiff neck, sweating, 
upset stomach, weight gain or loss, and the list goes on. And their solution and recommendation to you is this. Tell your doctor not just about your physical problems. So I come and I say to the doctor, my neck is stiff. And they say, don't just tell your doctor your neck's stiff. Tell your doctor about the emotional burdens you're bearing. Because there's a connection between the two. You know what they don't say? And I wouldn't expect them to say, and this is in no way of criticism, they don't say take it to the Lord. But this book does. And there's a connection between this moment of here's my burden, (laughs) I leave it, and there's a connection between my and your physical well-being and that moment. Okay, let's look back at Hannah. Let's first look at Matthew 11. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor. And not just that, you're not just laboring, but you're heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden, it's light. I've got you. So come to me and leave different. I'm not saying you don't go to the doctor for your ailments. I'm saying this. Go to the doctor and go to the Lord too. There is a burden of the heart we bear that affects us in negative ways. And the only way sometimes to unload it is at God's feet. Hannah took her burden to the Lord and she left it there. And you say this, Brother Daniel, how do we know that she left it there? Okay, verse 17 and 18 of the text. So then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and then she did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She was in bitterness of soul and sorrow of heart. And she came to the Lord, and she got up and said, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. I'm going to cast my cares at His feet, and I'm going to get up and go a different way. And when she got up, she didn't have the same sorrow. Circumstances were unchanged. But her face, her countenance, and her heart, and her spirit, those things, they were different. See, part of God's purpose in prayer is not just to change our circumstances. The primary purpose of prayer is to change us. And if we are changed, and if our outlook is changed, and our heart is changed, it's always better than the circumstance being changed. Because circumstances are going to come and go. We're going to be happy and disappointed all throughout life. What needs to grow and get better is you and I. Until the day we die, we can become better. Life won't be, but you can be if you'll respond in this way. In prayer, we find the comfort and presence, the maturity and growth in Christ, and in His presence, we find joy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There is a peace you don't know how to articulate. 
If someone asks you, you almost can't put words to it because it passes the human understanding, this peace that only God gives. It can't come from a good doctor report. It can't come from, a, from, a, from, a, from the doctor saying you're, you're finally pregnant. It, it can't come from that, that relationship is now restored. That peace comes from the Lord and it comes inside of our hearts and it comes exclusively through and because of him. It is better to be a happy person than a sad person. Happy people, they have happier lives. That sounds redundant and even foolish to say. Happy people get happier. Sad people get sadder. And, and, and we have this responsibility to come to God, to leave a burden there, and to get up a different human being. Circumstances may not change, but our hearts and our disposition and our outlook are changed because of our faith and understanding of Him. Hannah rested her sorrow with the Lord, and she decided, I'm going to be different. She literally rested in the Lord, and in the Lord, that was enough. Okay, side note. It was when she did this that she got pregnant. So the heart was fixed, and then the body. God heard. God looked. God remembered. God saw her attitude, and God blessed her. Now look, the text suggests this. We don't know for certain. But if Hannah had never had a baby again, she would still be the same woman she was when she left the Lord. And that's the part that we need to understand tonight. Hannah's prayer changed her life. It changed the future of the nation because God didn't just answer Hannah's prayer for a son. He provided an answer to Israel's needs as well because they needed a man of God. And it was through Hannah God decided to provide that. Through prayer, we participate in God's plan to not just change our lives, but through us, He changes the world. Sometimes it's the things we don't want, that we resent, that we fight, that are God's gifts to us. Because Hannah drove, Hannah was driven to her knees and to her God. And God began to work. And boy, it was through Samuel that the nation would finally begin to shift and turn around from the end of Judges, every man doing that which was right in his own eyes, to now men returning to God and beginning to serve and love and worship Him. The hymn writer wrote, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because... We do not carry everything to God in prayer. God's purposes are accomplished in our lives through prayer and a decision to leave them there. But the choice is yours, just like it was for Penina. One went to God. Hannah went to God. Hannah took her burden to the Lord. Hannah left it there. We never hear anything about Penina. All we know is that she was a bitter person that was resentful of Hannah. And bitterness will eat you up. 
and destroy you. They both served the same God. They both had the same tabernacle and the same priest. They just interacted with the God and with prayer in very different ways. So which will you choose tonight?